Welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And on this podcast, we peek inside the Sifted newsroom, discuss the biggest things journalists have been reporting on, and speak to some of the people behind the headlines. This week, we're hearing about how a high-profile American AI startup is setting up shop in Paris after raising a $126 million seed round. We're also going to discuss how embattled digital bank N26 in Germany just lost another member of its senior leadership team, and how health tech company Babylon has found a buyer for its digital GP business. We also have some news about Klarna's latest earnings from the second quarter that we'll be digging into too. And we're going to speak to a partner at a new investment fund focused on photonics to find out what that even means and how that technology could lead to a computing revolution. And we have the podcast debut for our new French tech reporter, Daphne, who's been looking into hacking scandals at startups. But before we get into all of that, Eleanor, what about the boat? You went on a boat trip last week. What yeah, happened? I went on an amazing boat trip last week. Um, it was a 48-hour voyage from Copenhagen to Oslo on a three-masted sailboat hosted by the Nordic VC by founders. I don't know if some of you are familiar with them. It was a couple of dozen founders, VCs, and ecosystem operators, builders on the ship. And I didn't really know what to expect being you know, shot into a boat with some people who can have a reputation for being pretty intense sometimes, but it was actually really, really fun. So I wrote a little bit about that on the website today. Who was the most eccentric character? You don't need to name any names. I mean, I just thought that the, like the funniest thing was, so you weren't really supposed to talk about your job at first, because it was supposed to be more about like getting to know people personally and not being so transactional. But some of the things that you found out about people later on as you had conversations, their actual job wasn't necessarily the most surprising thing about them. I found out that one of the participants, his father is actually the Jane Fonda of Sweden. (laughs) So, I mean, talk about a fact to give someone when you first meet them, but it took like a lot of conversation to get this fact out of this person. And is sailing going to be your new favorite weekend hobby? Um, I already love sailing. I've loved sailing for a long time in my life, but I sail much smaller boats than this one. This was a very big boat, but it did remind me that I do love sailing. Would love to do it more. So yeah, if there are any listeners out there who want to go sailing with me, please invite me on your boat. But now let us sail through to the news. First up, we have a scoop that came in late last week from our reporter Daphne, who you will hear more from later on. She confirmed that the US-based startup Poolside, which is building a chat GPT-style AI model, but for writing computer code rather than just human language, has raised a whopping $126 million seed round. And this is perhaps the most interesting bit of all, is that it's moving from the US to Paris. Eleanor, first up, what is Poolside actually building? Yeah, so Poolside is building a foundational AI model similar to GPT-3 or GPT-4 from OpenAI, but they have a different objective. They want to enable users to ask the tool in natural language, like the language that we're talking right now, to create code to build an application. So we might go and query GPT-3 through ChatGPT about, I don't know, what is photonics, like we were talking about earlier in the show. But um, the Poolside's AI model could be used, for example, by a teacher to create an app to help students learn 
or it could be used by a doctor, for example, to create some sort of uh, software to manage appointments or to manage admin. So people with no coding experience could, in theory, become the creators of useful software. If it all works out, that's pretty revolutionary, isn't it? You don't need to spend so much money on developers to get them to build apps for you. Anyone can just have an idea and make it happen. It's another example of an AI company raising really, really, really gigantic seed round. Why is that? Is it all just investor hype, which is why there's so much money going to these companies? Yeah, so these generative AI startups do need to raise lots and lots of money because most of that money is used to pay for compute, which is what they need to be able to train these models, right? They need all this data and then they need actual large data centers and graphics processing unit clusters, lots of that to process all this data. But those are very, very expensive. So that explains they're not using this $126 million to pay for salaries or that sort of stuff. It's actually really to have the compute to be able to build this model. So who are the founders of Poolside? So Poolside was founded in the US last May by Jason Warner, who's the former CTO of GitHub and who was also a VC. Um, his co-founder, Iso Kant, is a serial entrepreneur who has founded a bunch of different companies. But it's interesting that these US-based founders have chosen to come to France to build their company. We've seen a lot of AI startups in France recently, like Mistral, Nabla, Dust, and People say it's the high availability and low cost of talent that's really attractive about the French capital instead of the US. And next up, very early this morning, when I was ready to do some nice chilled out yoga, received the news that Klarna's annual, not annual, sorry, received the news that Klarna's quarterly reports were out. So I was editing that rather than doing my yoga. Anyway, you don't care about that. Um, so the Stockholm based buy now, pay later Giant had a bit of a rocky 2022. They had to lay off 700 employees and its valuation got cut by a big 85%. But the latest numbers show that it's really turned things around, don't they, Eleanor? Well, it shows definitely that a lot of the cost cutting that it's been doing has begun to have an effect. Um, in the second quarter, they decreased their losses by 77% compared to the same period last year. And losses, quarterly losses were about 76 million euros from April to June. And at the same time, they increased their revenue to about 460 million euros in that same quarter, which was up 17% year on year. The CEO and co-founder, Sebastian Semitkowski, also was tweeting, exciting day tomorrow, this was last night, with a post of the ACDC song Back in Black, which was a reference to the fact that Klarna has now, in the second quarter of this year, recorded one month in the black in profitability. He also started talking about the company's ambitions to do things with AI. Eleanor, what's he hinting at? Yeah, so this was a big focus that came up in their first quarter earnings report as well. They really want to implement generative AI tools and evolve Klarna into a digital assistant that looks out for customers' best interests, saving them time, money, and helping them worry less, which is what was said in the quarterly report. And it just is another example of how this buy now, pay later giant wants to really shift to be not just something that people go when they want to pay for something in installments, but something that is really key to everyone's digital shopping experience every day. And they think that AI is going to be very key for that. I thought it was really interesting that he tweeted the back and black thing, though. 
feel like if you are a public company, you could not do that. There are many things that can be said about Sebastian's Twitter activity. And finally, just two quick headlines about two big European tech companies. At N26, the German fintech, they've announced this afternoon that Gilles Bianrosa, who has been their chief product officer, that he will be stepping away and he will be taking a new role in September as part of the company's supervisory board. He's also going to be leaving to go be a COO at a US-based company, but he didn't say where it would be based. And then finally, before we bring on some guests, an update on a story we've been talking about a bit on the pod recently, which is that the UK digital health startup Babylon, which has been through quite a few ups and downs, it delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, its US business went into administration, and its UK business was up for sale. It has found a buyer for parts of its UK business following collapse of a merger that was meant to happen. So it sold its clinical services arm, which importantly includes the GP at hand app. That's the app that hundreds of thousands of NHS patients and private patients use in the UK to get digital and in-person primary care services. So it sold that along with some other contracts that it has to a US business called eMed healthcare which sells in-home testing kits so the administrators who've been working on the sales say that that means that babylon's clinical services will continue to operate as normal if anyone listening to this is actually a gp at hand user uh, that means your services shouldn't be affected meanwhile babylon's holding company babylon group holdings and its tech division babylon partners have filed notices appointing administrators so they they didn't find a buyer for that bit of the business And now we're joined by Peter Klinkert, partner at Netherlands-based investment fund Photon Ventures. This week, the firm announced that it's raised 60 million euros in a first close of a new fund to invest in startups building photonics technology, an emerging sector which some people say will transform how we build computers. Peter, welcome to the podcast. And before we go any further, please, can you give us a very simple dummies explainer? What are photonics? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me in this uh, podcast. And um, photonics is uh, the use of light or light particles to transmit, to detect, and to work with data. That's photonics in a generic. So we are used to using uh, to transport data on, on, on electronics, on electrons. But the next thing, and what we are already doing, is to do it on photon, on light particles. And the big advantage of light is that it has a tremendous bandwidth. One light source, one beam, it could, could transmit a lot of data. And that's also the use case for glass fiber. And the second, and I think that's a huge advantage towards the future, is that a photon doesn't use energy when it when it moves. And that's what, what happens with electrons. If you look at the energy which is used for data centers, that, that's going to be a very big problem. If we look here in the Netherlands, where we see huge data centers uh, with a lot of energy consumption, and that can be reduced by using uh, photonics in such data centers. It is also about the integration. Photonics in itself already exists for, for many years. But the trick in integrated photonics is to put all these lasers and all those small mirrors, everything involved in uh, photonics on a single chip. And by putting it on a chip, 
you are able to reduce in size uh, and therefore have a lower price. And uh, I think that's the main thing of integrated photonics is using photons, so uh, light particles on chip base instead of electrons, which we now use on the chips. And so electronic chips are used in all sorts of things, aren't they, right now? They're used in cars and computers and a million applications. And do you think, could photonic chips be used sort of basically just replace electronic chips or are there other things that it opens up? No, I I definitely don't think it will replace electronic chips, at least not for many years to come. But it's an enabler to lower the energy consumption, which is currently used at electronic chips. It's not meant as a replacement. It's part of the entire semicon industry. Okay. And how are people already using integrated photonics? Well, we use it already in data telecom. So, uh, and actually, but that's again on the broader side of photonics, uh, the uh, glass fiber, which we use, of course, for, for our internet and for our data consumption, is that's, that's light. Uh, the only thing is it stops at your doorstep and then it's turned into electronics and therefore uh, then it gets lower uh, bandwidth, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's already there. And uh, with 5G, 6G coming, uh, we need integrated photonics. We need light particles. And when you're thinking about this from an investment perspective, what kinds of startups are you looking to invest in who are using this technology? Well, for, for us, I mean, it's, it's uh, a bit of the chicken and egg. Uh, it's, it, in the end, it's about, uh, for us, it's important to look at the applications. So the use cases of uh, integrated photonics in existing products. And those products could be, well, in data telecom, as already mentioned, but also in healthcare. It could be in cars uh, using LIDAR. So instead of radar communication to detect things, you could also do it by light and then it's good come to LiDAR, you could use it even in quantum computing. And all those different applications, and they will increase the demand for the chips itself. And, and then you get the supply chain. And therefore, it's so important to also have our strategic partner, Photon Delta, included, because they also look at the supply chain. And, and together, I mean, it's, 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 I think those are important. It's, can we reproduce all these uh, different um, chips on on large scale okay and i feel like i i get a lot of uh news about how the uk and the eu perhaps you know are falling behind in this global semiconductor and and chip race what what do you think do you think europe's doing enough or do we need to up our game with this sort of very strategic and important technology well it's a bit of a difficult uh question to to answer but i think we are absolutely having a lot of focus on this i think if you look at what happened on on the traditional semicon on the electronic uh, chips uh on some parts and especially of course uh, mainly the production we did uh, lose pace in the past and but at now for now we are still at a, a very good position to also claim our position in the uk europe to to have a place but it, of course, it's it's uh, we're still dependent on on on, on the entire uh, world in this. But we it's it's not it's not too late. Let's say. Before we carry on with today's show, I wanted to recommend another great podcast about the world of entrepreneurship to you. Forty Minute Mentor, the pocket-sized career mentor. 
Now in their 10th season, the podcast is on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. Their guests include mission-driven founders, investors, and Olympic champions, sharing the ups and downs of their journey and what it takes to be brilliant, all in 40 minutes. Make sure you tune in now by searching for 40-Minute Mentor, wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. And finally, from Paris, we are joined by our journalist, Daphne Le Prince Rengay, who this week has been reporting on how startups have become the targets of hackers. Often, when we think of big data breaches, we think of bigger companies like Facebook or high street banks. But as you wrote, Daphne, it's often smaller and younger businesses like startups that get targeted by these attacks. How can startups be affected by this kind of stuff? There are different ways that startups can be affected. Usually when we talk about cyber attacks, the sort of three main attacks that we think of would be data breaches, which happen when a hacker gets their hands on critical sensitive data that a company holds and then usually will try and, for example, sell it on infamous data marketplaces like the dark web. But we also talk about ransomware, which is when a hacker gets their hands on a company's systems or data and holds them hostage in exchange for a ransom. We can also have cybercrime, which is when hackers extort money from employees or from people, for example, through phishing attacks. So there are different ways that cyber attacks can be carried out. But as you said, the consensus among analysts, VCs, is that smaller companies can be targeted just as much as bigger companies. And the types of attacks, the motives behind the attacks, the profiles of the attackers are very similar for large businesses as they are for smaller businesses. So really, there's a lot of similarities between the profiles of companies when it comes to how vulnerable they are to cyber attacks. And obviously, when people launch a startup, security controls might not be super front of mind. So how prepared are startups for these attacks? Usually, again, the consensus is they are not very prepared. And actually, the problem comes from them not being aware that they might be a target. Startup founders tend to think that hackers won't be interested or won't know about them. And as I said, that the statistics show that, that that's not the case. Hackers very much have small businesses in mind when it comes to carrying out attacks and, and startups and small businesses are targets to the same extent as large businesses. So founders, the first problem comes really from awareness, from the fact that founders aren't aware of the problem, which in a way actually makes them even more vulnerable to attack because it's much easier for a hacker to carry out an attack against a small company that doesn't have a very strong cyber infrastructure than it is to carry out an attack against a large company that's pouring millions into their cyber infrastructure. And you talk about in the article that you wrote about this this week, you talked about the Ledger case. Can you tell me a little bit about who Ledger is and what this case was? So Ledger is a French crypto startup, quite a big startup here in France. They're counting among the unicorns, actually. They're a great example of a startup that got attacked. And when I say great example, I mean that that the consequences of that attack were quite important. So it's sort of an illustration of how consequential these things can be for startups. So Ledger suffered a number of data breaches back in 2020. A million customer emails were leaked. And then on top of that, just under 300,000 customer email, postal addresses, product purchase history were leaked. So this was more sensitive data in in the case of the 300,000 or almost 300,000 points of data that were leaked. And so this didn't enable hackers to directly access crypto funds, but allegedly as a result of this leak, there were more phishing attacks carried out against the people whose data was leaked. And some customers of Ledger say that they lost crypto funds as a result of these 
phishing attacks. So there is actually legal action that was taken by a number of customers against Ledger, claiming that Ledger didn't protect their data as per rules and regulations that the GDPR puts in place in Europe, and claiming that as a result of that, they were subjected to phishing attacks and lost money. So of course, it's very unclear at this stage if Ledger will be seen guilty or, or if they will have to pay any money to these customers. But what's certain is that there is an extent of reputational damage that has come with this attack. For sure. And I guess this is also not a great look if you're trying to raise money as a company either, right? You know, there's customer trust that you spoke about, but also potentially something that can concern investors. Absolutely. So investors will be aware or will be as part of due diligence, they will be looking at how cyber secure a company is. Of course, from the investors perspectives, you could have a very strong cyber infrastructure and still be targeted by a cyber attack. But if there is a series of events that shows that there has been loose cyber policy, loose cyber security procedures in place, that might impact or is actually likely to impact an investment decision. Absolutely. And what can startups do? I mean, even if you're like a super small team, I guess it's hard to hire a really expensive person or experts, but what can small companies do from the outset? So the basic responsibility lies with the board. So it is up to the board to, to make sure that the company has cyber secure infrastructure policies and procedures in place. Then ideally, of course, a company would have a COO who would have some kind of focus on cybersecurity, who would give some kind of thinking at least to how to make sure that the company is resilient beyond basic antivirus and VPNs and that kind of stuff. Ultimately, though, I think what, what comes across quite strongly is that the key thing is that founders need to make sure that employees are aware of cyber risks. The human error really is one of the prime routes for hackers to get into a company system uh, via different things like phishing attacks, for example. So, you know, a lot of us are familiar with the classic cybersecurity training that you get in companies usually just to make sure that you recognize spam and phishing attacks and so on. And this should not be something that only occurs in larger companies. Smaller businesses should be making sure that their employees get this training regularly and are up to date with these things. Oh, a very important advice. Thank you so much for joining us, Daphne. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. But you can read more of our news and stories on sifted.eu and find all of the stories that we talked about on the podcast today in the podcast description below. And finally, please, if you haven't already checked it out, check out the agenda for our big in-person event that's happening in only five weeks time on the 4th and 5th of October at the Sifted Summit. The website is summit.sifted.eu. You can find all our speakers on there, lots of very interesting AI speakers amongst other things and if you are fans of the podcast and our lovely journalists who come to speak on it you'll be able to find all of us there we're even going to have a little newsstand where we'll be doing shifts so you can come and say hello you can come find out where your favorite journalist will be and come and chat to them at the event so we'd love to see you there please get hold of your tickets the early bird prices are ending soon and we hope to hear you speak to you commune with you once again next week bye bye